Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that uh, you're in control, that you you're the God of everything and Lord I just pray that as we go through this sermon that we can trust in you and trust that you know what's best and Lord I pray that we would lean into your rest and that we would find it in you and nowhere else Lord I lift this sermon to you I pray that you would bless it and that you would use it and that we would hear it Lord I pray this in Jesus name amen so we're done with our series in Romans 12 on relationships, and the plan for this entire sabbatical for Pastor Bill, our, our senior pastor. So if you're new to this church, I'm the associate pastor, and I've kind of been acting as the senior pastor for the last 15 weeks, and the plan was to, to talk about this year of Jubilee, and this time of, of rest and, and Sabbath for God's people. And I wanted to go to Leviticus 25. The problem is I ran into some text that kind of derailed my thinking for the week. And so let's begin. In, in, in March of 1775, the, the Second Virginian Convention met at St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia to discuss the state strategy against the British. The British were taxing without representation. And there was a lawyer by the name of Patrick Henry who stood up and he said this, Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why we stand here idle? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and of slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know what course others may take, but for me... Give me liberty or give me death. We're in a war. I think we forget about this. Give me liberty or give me death. This is a choice that we all have to make. Liberty is a freedom from bondage, tyranny, or abuse of governmental power. It's also freedom from sin and freedom from slavery. Liberty is rest. Death, however, is bondage and it's tyranny and it's sin and it's slavery. When the Israelites, when they were in Egypt, they were labored every day. There was no rest. They were slaves. And so as I started to study for this sermon, I got stuck on this text in Leviticus 25, 44-46. Moses is writing to the Israelites. It says this, As for your male and female slaves whom you may have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy them from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you, who have been born in your land and they may may be your property. You may bequeath them to your sons after you inherit as a possession forever. You may make slaves of them, but over your brothers, the people of Israel, you shall not rule one over another ruthlessly." As I got to this text, I couldn't just ignore it. Right? Often we get to difficult texts, especially in the Old Testament, and, and we can't just skip by it. We can't just pretend that it's not there. In this text, it looks like God is permitting slavery. 
Now, as we go through this, must understand that I never condone slavery, and I don't want to hurt anybody by this sermon, but there has to be a reason why God is allowing it. Guys, I have to be honest to you, as I looked at my commentaries, every single one of them just flew on by this like it didn't even exist. But that's not my style. And so here we go. Stay with me, right? So, so the world that we live in, we all can agree, is broken because of sin. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And with that said, it's safe to say that God uses everything in this world for His glory. Romans 11.36 For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And so this forced slavery is a byproduct of sin. And because of Adam, we fell into sin. And we're going to see later, because of Jesus, we have rest. And if we're going to understand God's purpose in rest, we have to see it through the lens of slavery. I never want to make light of slavery, and I especially don't want to make light of our American past, especially when it comes to this topic. In fact, I hope that we can do the complete opposite today as we direct it toward this condemnation of, of slavery. But like almost everything in the Bible, as we start to read and understand it, we have to understand that God redeems His people, redeems His creation over this progression of time. God redeems His people one at a time because it's the only way in our humanness we can truly understand the greatness of our God. And here's the reality. Every one of us is a slave to something. Some of the time we enslave ourselves and sometimes we are put into it by these tyrants, either these tyrant people or these tyrant governments. But in this case, in Leviticus 25, God is going to use His people to carry out judgment. We often forget that the Old Testament is this system of theocracy. God is the head of it. And all these people are following this system that we see as we, we work our way, especially in the Torah. Today, God uses our government to, to put people in prison when they do wrong. Now, this doesn't mean that God condones slavery. Nor does it mean that, that sometimes, or, or all the time, these Israelites, as they, were, as they were bringing these people into slavery, weren't sinning, and, and the way they treated them wasn't a sin. No, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean is that God uses everything in this world to guide us, to demonstrate to us this destruction and bondage and death of sin and the construction and liberty and life in Christ. The ways in this world, there's consequences. And the consequences, they bring heavy burdens on us. But, but God, He gives us this other way. Jesus. Last week we read Matthew 11, 28-30. Jesus says, Come to Me, all who labor and, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we are in Jesus, we will find rest. When we are outside of Jesus, we find this bondage. We find this sin. 
Jesus, He cares about us. He loves us. He restores us and He, and he saves us. Sin doesn't care about us. It doesn't love us. It consumes us and condemns us and takes us prisoner. And so I believe there should be this distinction between this, this forced slavery and being a servant of God. This forced slavery is one human abusing another human by taking them against their will and forcing them to labor. In the world right now, there are about 50 million people that are being forced to work against their own will. There could be about 400,000 in the U.S. alone. This problem has not gone away. In fact, there are more slaves today than there ever has been in the history of mankind. But a servant, somebody that trusts in God, Two people helping one another is beautiful, especially when it goes along with this righteousness that God provides. When we serve one another, it gives us purpose, love, care, and security. That's what God provides through His Son. But He cannot provide it for those that have not given their life to Him, those that have rejected Him. In God's perfection, He can be around no sin. And ultimately, those who do not choose God choose slavery in this world. Now, does that mean that God was punishing the African culture and using these other people to carry out punishment? Not a chance, no. Why? Because Jesus changed everything. He was the fulfillment of the law. He relieved us from this burden to have to carry out punishment. And Jesus, He calls us to love our neighbor. We are called to love one another. The kingdom of God is no longer just a Jewish thing, but an entire world thing. God's plan was to use Abraham to bring blessing to the entire world. This entire world has the potential to be our brother, and Leviticus tells us not to rule over our brother. We are never to enslave anybody but in saying that, that doesn't mean that we can't see God's greatness through the evil that is around us. God, He uses the world around us to progressively bring His creation back into right standing. We have to see the darkness in order to understand the light. We can only choose Jesus if there is another choice. We can only truly appreciate rest if we've seen the bondage. And God knew this. From the very beginning, God established this, this weekly rest. And rest is this moment that we recognize our dependence on God. And so how could a God that hates bondage and slavery allow His people to own slaves? If we're going to understand this, we have to go back to this disobedience from the Israelite people. They were called to, to carry out judgment on the people in the land of Canaan in the first place. God, He's going to use these people, but they don't do what He asks them to do. We see God's directive in Numbers 31 and 17 where He tells these, these Israelites to kill all the Midianite men and the boys and even the women who are non-virgins. Often this is the text that we like to ignore in the Bible. But over and over, the problem is when we start to look at the Bible through our own moral compass instead of trusting in a God who knows best. And so we can look at this two ways. 
First of all, the, the human perspectives. What happens if the Israelites do not kill all the men and the children in the promised land? Well, they live in a tribal warfare type society. The family members who weren't killed would come after the Israelites and would kill them. And we see throughout history, the Israelites, because they don't do what God asks them to do, they're constantly in a battle. And God, He's protecting this line of Jesus. God, He has a desire to protect the Israelites. And He knew that these outside forces would corrupt them and kill them. As we look at the Old Testament, we see that before this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there was this exclusivity with the Israelite people. It had to be. He was protecting the line. The second way we can look at this is the, is the divine way. We often tend to think that God owes us something, but He owes us nothing. We are His creation. He's the Creator. Without Him, we don't exist. So who are we to question His methods? Job learned about this firsthand. Job 38, 4 and 5. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Man, we don't see the world the way that God does. For all we know, commanding the the Israelites to kill these Medianite boys could have been saving them because he knew that they would reject him when he grows up. Now, I don't know that for sure, but we have to think that, that God knows better than we do. And so why does slavery come up? Because these Israelites did not obey God. They allowed these enemies to hang around. And they were literally forced to enslave some of them so they wouldn't turn around and kill them. The other side of this is that God, even though He hates it, often the sin in our life is, is what shows us our depravity and shows us our need for a God. It shows us that we're in slavery. How would we really understand rest? The rest that He's going to provide if, if we haven't experienced the labor that this world gives us. And if we really look around at a Christian viewpoint, We'd have to see slavery on this earth as nothing compared to slavery for all eternity in hell. That being said, as the church, we have to care about ending slavery because God does. And because that should be what's written on our hearts, what our desire is. And God, He wants everyone to have rest. But in that, He also gives us over to our own desires. We often get stuck on this subject instead of seeing God's protection for His people. Even today, we want our governments to protect us when other people are going to hurt us. We want them to, to put them in prison. If somebody killed somebody in your family and the judges said, hey, you can go, not one of us would see that as a loving judge. It should give us comfort to know that we have a just God. A God that judges and then as we look at this, we should also see this progressive unveiling by God. You see, God designed it so that we could see this importance that God provides. So that we can appreciate and surrender to the leadership. So we can appreciate in Jesus. It's kind of like the law. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing us toward our inability to live up to God's perfect standards. 
It points us to our need for a relationship with Jesus. Galatians 3.22 But the Scriptures imprisoned, imprisoned everything under the sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Scriptures show us this, this darkness, this, this slavery, while at the same time unveiling this promise of, of freedom and light in Jesus. And so even though there is slavery in the Bible, it's bigger than we can ever imagine. We cannot forget that God is always protecting His people. He's carrying out judgment. As well as doing an infinite number of things that we can never even fathom. And so today, instead of me dwelling on this slavery, I need to dwell on God's rest. And it starts this way. God starts with establishing this this weekly rest. He establishes a year of solemn rest for the land and His people. And then He establishes this, this jubilee rest where all leases are fulfilled. And then He establishes an atoning rest from sin and He does it by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then finally, there's a permanent rest. This rest when Jesus returns. And so number one, God established weekly rest. The pattern is established way back in Genesis 2-3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Now God, He didn't need to rest. But he's setting this example for us. Adam and Eve, they, they had perfect rest. They're in the garden with God. They walked with Him literally. They had this relationship with Him, but yet they fall into sin. We see this, this pride. They were kicked out of the garden. And for years, we see these people living outside of God's rest. The rest that He wants so desperately to provide. They were destined to labor and struggle to get back to the garden. And we all know that it's fleeting. That we can never do it on our own. And so God uses their sin and He uses our sin so that we can understand our need for rest. This need, this dependence on God. Year after year, God works in the life of the people developing this story of of restoration. And we see that evil was in the world. God uses Noah to redeem the world. When you think it's bad now, imagine God having to only allow eight people to live. That must have been terrible. And what happens after the flood? Everybody's the same mindset. They start working together to build this tower. And what happens again when everything's going right? Pride. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with Adam and Eve. It's the same thing that happens with all of us. Genesis 11.4, and then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heaven, and let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So often we become about ourselves. But if we don't have struggles, if we don't have trials, if we don't have battles, then we become prideful. And God, He knows this. He knows what is best for us. And we're to to trust Him. It's at this moment that He disperses the people throughout the world. And the rest of Scripture is about bringing people back into this relationship with God, but without pride. That's the goal. 
It goes on. God chooses Abraham because if Abraham chose God, he would have something to boast about. God, he chose a people to bring Jesus into the world. And God even lets his people go into slavery so he can unveil this next step. But what we forget as this slavery saved the Israelites. We see Moses. He comes onto the scene 430 years later. And he uses Moses to bring his people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And Moses, he writes the scripture. This entire time is this progressive sanctification leading towards this reunification. We see in Exodus 28 through 10, the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Everyone. God, he lays a new way out through these Israelite people. And we begin to understand the value of work and the beauty of rest. But throughout the Bible, God is continually leading us, directing us to something that is greater. God, he designs the world that we live in to need rest also. And so he unveils a, a Sabbath year. And that's number two right here. God established a year of solemn rest. Leviticus 25, 3-5. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap from what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The text goes on to say that God will provide for all the people and all the livestock, everyone and everything. Now God, he did not have to make an earth that needed rest to produce crops. And I'm not a farmer, right? But, but I am a hunter and I have some honey spots that I love to go. And then all of a sudden I go there and it's barren. Those farmers are giving that land rest even today. But here's the deal, it's not... Rest unless God provides it. Everything in the Bible. Everything in the Bible we should see is this perspective as focusing on God and seeing His purpose. Everything that we do is to, is to drive this dependence on Him. Every week, every seven years is a reminder that we need Him to survive. God provides. He provides this rest, but... Do the Israelites always use it? No. And neither do we. Now we have plenty of days off, but do we recognize God as the provider of those days of rest? It's not rest unless God is giving it to us. A week, a year, but what about something greater? We have to continually look for this something greater that God is unveiling to us. It's dependence on Him. And we see it in this year of jubilee. And so that's number three. God established a, a jubilee rest. In the Bible, you'll see the number of completion is seven. And seven times seven is 49 years. And the next year is this, this year of jubilee. Leviticus 25.9. 
And you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. And on the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet through all your land. This word jubilee actually comes from the word yobel in the Greek, or in the Hebrew, I mean. It's a, a ram's horn used as a trumpet. So they would sound this, this horn of liberty to proclaim that liberty was coming. This, this day of atonement was each year, but this was a special year. This progression that we see with God as His plan unfolds. The year of Jubilee was a time where God's people were released from bondage. It was the way it was supposed to work is that, that God owns the land and the land was just leased to them. He gave it to His people. And then they could lease it out to others. And you see, if you're getting closer to the year of Jubilee, then the, the price would be less. But if you were further away from the year of Jubilee, the price would be more. And so in this year of Jubilee would be this fulfillment of all these leases. They would be free to go back to their land. We can see this as God's plan for all of us. You can see this comparison of what it looks like when we surrender to Him. The problem with this story is that there is no proof in the Bible or extra-biblical that they ever did it. They were prideful. They wanted the land for themselves. And as God's plan just lays itself out, we can see this pridefulness in man. But this plan also unfolds and we see this greater. I mean, even the Day of Atonement, it was the seventh month of the year of Tishri around September or October for us. It's when they celebrated a new year, a, a new birth. Now the first month in the calendar for the, for the Israelite people was this month of Nisan, which is March or, or April. They used a lunar calendar. And you may ask yourself, how is the seventh month the month of the new year or the new birth? Right? But here's the thing, Nisan was, was the first birth and the month of Tishri was the new birth when we are free from sin. Sound familiar? Hebrews 10.1 for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. This day of atonement, right? When every year they sacrifice for the people over and over again could never be complete. It pointed us to Jesus. It pointed us towards a Savior. And not only that, we see this trumpet will sound later on when, when the permanent rest is brought about, this permanent jubilee. But first, let's look at Jesus and this atoning rest as a Savior. And so that's number four. God established atoning rest. Atonement is the payment for something. Jesus substituted Himself as the payment for our sins and He redeemed us. He proclaimed liberty over us. Leviticus 25.10 And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. And it shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each shall return to his clan. This year of jubilee was a year of liberty. And liberty is ultimately provided by Jesus. 
In the New Testament, we see in Luke 4, 16-21, it says this, And Jesus came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And it was always His custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and then all the eyes are on him in the synagogue. And then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now the scroll was Isaiah 61, 1-3 as we know it. But it can also relate back to this year of Jubilee, this time of atonement. And when Jesus died on the cross, He set us free. Faith has a name. Now we were always saved by faith before Jesus, looking forward to this day of a Messiah to come who would proclaim this, this liberty. But now faith is Jesus we can see Him. We can look back. We, we have a name to go with that faith. We're no longer in prison but free. We are no longer trapped by death. We are alive in liberty. Galatians 3, 23 and 24. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. This word justified means that we are marked as righteous. We are marked as liberated. We are marked as free. We are no longer slaves to this world. We are no longer under the masters of, of this world, but we are recognized by God. He is our master. And on top of that, He is our Father. We are sons and daughters of the one true God, the master of freedom. Galatians 3, 26-29. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ, who have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Man, it doesn't matter your sex or your social status, where you live. All who trust in God's liberty, all who surrender to His rest are redeemed and they are liberated to this perfect relationship with Jesus. But here's the reality. We only understand it because of God's plan. God's perfect plan to redeem humankind to Himself. Step by step, God progressively sanctifies his creation. Sanctification is this process of being freed from sin. It's this process of being purified. And when Adam sinned, we fell away. But because of Jesus, we are redeemed. Galatians 4, 4-7. through But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And you are no longer slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
Man, this is the state that we are in. God redeems more of His people over and over again by using us. We get to be in the go and tell generation. We are blessed to live now. We are blessed to know Jesus by name. But it's not completely finished. The world that we live in has not yet been perfected in the future. Just like this year of Jubilee when the ram's horn will be this this time when, when God will permanently liberate His people from the death of this world and restore perfection. Which only exists because people understand the significance of what Christ did in contrast to sin and evil and bondage in this world. And so here's number five as we begin to close. God is going to establish this permanent rest. This, this jubilee or this ram's horn will be this sign as the trumpet blares of this, this permanent rest that God is giving us. Now we'll still work, but we will not labor. We will not die, but we will be restored to liberty. And it only comes through Jesus. And we have this hope. Because we've seen God's plan throughout the ages. We've read about it in His Word. We've seen it unfold. And we know that God will provide. God will do what He says He's going to do. We have a hope even in the trials and the despairs of this world. We have a hope in the slavery and bondage because we know that there is a final chapter. And our hope is in Jesus. And our hope is in this eternal chapter that is yet to be written. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, And with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet Him in the Lord. Meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, if we know Jesus... We can just say, give me liberty because we know that there will be no more death. Praise Him. Praise Him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You. I thank You for Your Son and that He redeemed us from bondage. That He delivered us from slavery. And that because of His work on the cross, we now can be in Your presence. That we can be called sons and daughters. And that we no longer labor. But we are free. And we are liberated. And so Lord, I pray that we would take this by heart. That we would learn to trust deeper in your Son. And to rely on Him. And to to grow in this rest that only you can provide. Lord, we thank you for this rest. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.